Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My goal is to find companies and people and products and scientists that are doing really cool and unusual and innovative things, not your run-of-the-mill people. So today I have Ben Jomek. He's the chief product officer at a place called Actuate. The website is actuate.ai. And the premise is a gun detection AI that reacts before shots are fired. I don't know how that would happen, but uh, sounds interesting. Ben, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, so tell me about the technology. What, uh, what's the premise of it? How does it work? Yeah, <clears throat> so you can think of us as one of this new umbrella of AI computer vision-based companies that are now on the market. So over the last few years, I think it's no secret that you've seen an explosion in big data and machine learning, especially for taking in non-numerical data, like videos, <clears throat> images, sounds, text, etc. And looking at the world today, me and my co-founder and CEO, Sunny Tai, um, thought, what are the biggest problems that this new technology can help us solve? And while in the news cycle, uh, other crises are really big right now, we're speaking during the coronavirus epidemic, um, over the last few years, we've just seen a massive amount of active shooter events and mass shootings in this country. And after speaking with law enforcement about the issue, what we consistently heard were two things. First of all, um, the most terrifying thing for a law enforcement professional is knowing there's armed men in a building, but not knowing who they are, where they are, or what they're armed with. And that's a really big challenge. But secondly, once we started to dig in and ask people giving run, hide, fight training, how they saw this and what information they would want, one of the officers just came out and said, you see all these security cameras? Schools are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of putting these cameras in, but they're useless. We can go see what happened. What I want them to do is automatically tell me where a gun is. And so we thought that that made a lot of sense. And so we went and built it. And now we have a system that can plug into virtually any security camera system and instantly detect a, vi a visible weapon with better than human accuracy. Well, I guess the good thing in the machine vision sense is it's hopefully easier than saying this is a cat or a dog because guns tend to have only a finite amount of shapes and it's very distinct. Right? So yes and no. So obviously um, we're pretty lucky that we're trying to detect something that is uncommon. It's pretty distinctive, like a handgun and especially a rifle doesn't look like a lot of other things out there. But on the flip side, think about the security camera images that you see on the news or on YouTube. Most of them are really grainy, fairly low quality. And so actually it becomes a pretty significant challenge to determine if something is a handgun versus it's just a black mobile phone in somebody's hand. And that's really where years of research and development have gone into. 
because it's really easy to say that we have a technology that can detect X with 99% accuracy. And you've actually seen a few YouTubers um, build basic models that can detect guns with 99% accuracy. But that's because what they're doing is just detecting black objects in people's hands. And that is really, really easy to do. But then you're going to get a false alert every time somebody walks in a, phone, in a door with, on their smartphone. And so getting to that granularity where you're saying, what is the shape of the hand telling us? What is the specific contours uh, of the object telling us about that, of being a pistol versus a phone? And it actually is a really, really complex challenge. And in my opinion, one of the reasons that my technical team is excited to work on this is with current computer vision technology, distinguishing between a black nine millimeter pistol and a smartphone is probably one of the hardest problems out there that is solvable and that which we have solved. Well, it's not just that now that I think about it, you know, I'm sorry to trivialize it by saying cat and dog takes, but um, yeah, the hand will, you know, has to hold the gun. Um, it could be covering part or most of mm -hmm. the gun, you know, the placement of fingers. But then I realized too that I'm sure that people that hold guns, if they're in a room with someone else, the interaction between the two objects and the shape the postures they take would tell you a lot about whether it's a phone or a gun. And then also, again, for an isolated person, they're probably going to hold the gun in certain ways that you know, obviously people wouldn't hold a phone in that way. So you probably have to look at the posture of the person and their movements and their head movements and a whole bunch of cues from them too, right? So yes and no. I think the second thing you mentioned around, like if a person is holding a gun, especially by themselves in a room, they tend to do it in a specific way. And that's actually really true. Like, unfortunately, if you watch these videos of these terrible crimes, people are there to commit crimes and to harm people. So they're not being secretive with their weapon. And you can capture somebody brandishing a weapon and that information of what a brandished weapon looked like very clearly. Beyond that, into the pose of somebody outside of the hand area, we don't do that as much. That actually gets into a lot of privacy concerns uh, with behavior analysis. That's where you get into things like algorithmic bias. Um, and one of the strategies we have as a company, but also as a technology, because we obviously want this sort of technology to be adopted and make the world a safer place, is society has been reacting very negatively to facial recognition, I think, for many reasons and many very good reasons. And we want to stay as far away from anything that can seem like facial recognition, like inferring suspiciousness of based on somebody's behaviors as possible. And so we really have focused on detecting the threatening weapon and, the de and detecting the threatening motion of a hand versus somebody's overall demeanor, because that opens up a can of worms, especially when you start well, even things like algorithmic bias. Even if you don't look at their face, though, but you treat the object, you know, where is the head? Is the head moving back and forth? You know, like I, I could see it being a confirmation signal. I'm not mm. telling you what to do, but if yeah. you have a certain likelihood that the object part of it analysis is a gun, then maybe you look for confirmation signals like the head turning multiple times. You don't mm -hmm. need face, let's say, but, you know, the, the leg stands. Uh, the, I don't know. I just wonder yeah. if that would play in and help improve it. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually do a lot of similar things to that. I think our secret sauce really is in the post-processing and the pre-processing of the images, as well as the core AI algorithm itself. So while I can't go into details, I can share that we've explored a lot of solutions like that. How fast, um, how much footage do you need to be able to make a pretty accurate assessment? A few seconds? Oh, much less than that. So theoretically, we could detect things with a single frame 
where the gun is visible. But it turns out that there's a lot of just one-off fluke situations of a shadow being on somebody's hand where for a single frame, it can look like a gun. So generally we have our system set up to, to say, if there's been a gun detected in two frames, then we can send an alert. And we generally run at three frames per second. So the gun has to be visible for less than a second for us to positively identify it and send an alert to security staff. Well, also sure. too, if, if security and staff as they converge upon the person, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you'd get more and more confirmation that they do have a gun. So exactly. I can see like you'd have an initial alert and then over time, now you have 10, 20, 30 seconds, let's say, you'd get either a lot of confirmation or non-confirmation. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you do have a false signal, I, I guess you'd have to train staff like wait for the secondary confirmation a second or two later. I don't know. Like, there, <clears throat> yeah, what, so what are the semantics? Of that? Yeah, we can step up through how this works, because I think one concern that a lot of people have with this technology is well, we're using security cameras. And that means that the weapon has to be visible. Like there's technologies like microwave panels you can use if you want to detect concealed weapons, but they're expensive and don't work that well. So we're basically sending you a signal instantly once somebody draws their firearm. And a lot of people ask, what's the value of that? Like if somebody's already in my building, has already drawn a weapon, what am I going to do in that situation? I think that's where some of the concerns you've alluded to become really important. Because first of all, when that alert comes, they can immediately see that information on their phone or on their security system and immediately confirm that it is a threat. Uh, One interesting thing, and that highlights why this is so critical, is that we obviously deploy at a lot of schools and we actually have a lot of uh, school play props (laughs) setting off the alert. So having a security guard know that, oh wait, that might look like a gun, but it's actually a prop and they can address it in an appropriate way, which is likely going to talk to the student and telling them they shouldn't be using it, but not calling the SWAT team is very, very important. So that's one thing. Secondly, this instantaneous alert is a dramatic improvement over the status quo. If you look at case studies, some of which are available on our website, from events like the shootings in Parkland, Florida, it took up to five minutes for police officers who were already on site to confirm that there was a shooter. So we're getting that five minutes down to below five seconds, which is a massive improvement. But even there, we feel that the biggest uh, value add of our technology is that it provides that information that law enforcement officers told us is most important at the beginning of our discussion, which is if there's armed men in a building, that's important to know, but who are they, where are they, and what they're armed with. Again, if you look at Parkland, they had none of this information. The police officers didn't go in. They didn't pursue the suspect. So it took 90 minutes to finally make an arrest. Instead, with this type of computer vision technology, you have the image of the person, you have their location on a map if your security system supports that. You have instantaneous updates as they move around the building, tracking that weapon in real time. So you have all of that actionable intelligence of who they are, where they are, what they're armed with, allowing police officers to to execute their strategy immediately once they arrive and shut down the situation as soon as possible. So it's really about all-encompassing protection, not just that initial alert. But you also have three sets of people. You have the shooter or shooters moving somewhere. You have the you know unarmed innocents that you want to move away from that shooter. So it would be good if, I don't know, let's say a mm-hmm. teacher gets, gets updates, okay, he's moving into this room, go this way instead, you know, to get them away from the yeah. shooter line of sight. And then the police want to converge on the person in the right way. So they want to probably intercept where they're going or, you know, sneak in behind them and stuff. So 
I would guess you could provide intelligence on, mm -hmm. you know, just based on the shooter's movements, to all those three groups. Exactly. And we do that in two different ways. First of all, we have an extremely lightweight solution. Each time there's an alert, we generate a unique link that can be shared with anybody who needs it. So you don't have to be trying to onboard police officers to your security system if you already haven't done it. You can forward them a text and they can instantaneously track that person around the facility, giving everybody who needs that information the ability to access it instantly. But secondly, we find that a lot of schools and large companies are investing a lot in their security stands. And so we work with every type of security platform out there, ones that notify teachers, ones that lock down buildings. We can automate, uh, automatically trigger lockdowns of any facility that has that technology involved. We are actually working, uh, we're gonna have a big announcement sometime in the next few weeks. It, it got delayed due to the pandemic where we're very closely working with a few security companies that serve hundreds of schools nationally and provide that video link from the security cameras to the school. So we will basically be analyzing that footage in real time. And when something is detected, immediately pushing it to law enforcement at their local command center so that you don't even have to have those three groups of people coordinating. All three groups get the information instantly. And what about turning the particular camera or cameras that are on the shooter into a live feed instead of just relying, <clears throat> let's say, on recording or going out to go fetch them? Oh, so uh, sorry, I should have clarified that. That's what we do now. So our system works with less than half a second latency from camera to alert. All of this information is flowing in real time. And we do that um, with extremely low bandwidth needs. So this is extremely easy and cheap to install and works completely in real time. So all of that information will be coming to us when something is detected. That live feed is immediately going to law enforcement. They can view recordings or they can view the feed of any camera they want. At the, t at the time so they can get all the information they need instantly. How do you avoid uh, fatigue though? You know, if um, individual <laughs> people in a school, you know, it, you know it's like a, a seesaw. Yeah. You can be sensitive enough to be useful, but you also don't want the people that are watching it to be so conditioned to like, ah, it's, not the, it's a damn, damn system again going <laughs> on. Yeah, that's a big one. And this harkens back to what I mentioned earlier, which is it's really easy to make a system that can detect brandished weapons. As I said, you just set up a very basic machine learning algorithm that detects people holding black objects. Anybody could follow a tutorial and build that in a few hours. The problem with that is then you're getting false positives every few minutes per camera, which is clearly not sustainable. And we feel very strongly that our alerts need to be as topical and as important as possible. And so a lot of our R&D has gone into bringing the false alert rate down. So we're at the, the number that we quote to new customers is that we have far below one false positive per 10 cameras per month. So Fatigue really isn't an issue. If anything, we find that a lot of our longer term customers who have experienced our technology getting better and better are now concerned with how few false positives they get. We're actually in a situation where we send false positives to our customers on purpose so that their security teams, rather than being fatigued by responding to the system, actually get to use it. This isn't something that they're only seeing in a crisis. They have to respond to false positives every month or so. So they know the UI, they know how to respond. And so rather than this being a fatigue problem, it's actually a comfort problem simply because our false alert rate is so low. Do you, um, do you have to condition the people once they get the system? You know, do you, do you have to deliberately trigger a bunch of alerts so that, you know, you obviously don't want it to be the first time that the system mm -hmm. goes off and it's real. 
so what kind of training is needed or what kind of like conditioning is needed for people to not freak out about this? <laughs> there's, there's a few groups of stakeholders in terms of the training that we have to consider. Um, the first one is the administration of the organization that's bringing this on. And they're generally bought in through the sales process. And we actually feel strongly that we shouldn't be the first piece of security response investment that you make. You should already have a security response plan. You should already have uh, some sort of training for your staff. And so we really slot into that for the administrative layer. <laughs> Secondly, for the security teams themselves, we do two things. First of all, we do trainings with them. In most cases, we go on site, we show them alerts, uh, we set up a system perhaps on premise or we connect to one of their cameras specially so they can practice triggering it with a mock weapon if they'd like. And we discuss how it fits into their security response plans. And so right up front, they're getting a lot of exposure to and then secondly, for the first two weeks, we work with the security team to understand what trade-off between false positives and sensitivity do they want. As I mentioned, if we're detecting brandish weapons, we get very, very few false positives. But we can also do things like detecting things that may be a gun in somebody's pocket, that may be a gun that somebody's pulling out from somebody's jacket, but a lot more things look like that. And you're gonna get more false positives. So over the first two weeks, we have an ongoing dialogue with the security staff and say, do you like it this way? Do you like it that way? And just due to the nature of that discussion, they're getting a significant number of false positives, maybe one a day, which also builds comfort. And then by the time that one to two week period is done, we have it dialed in. They're getting the appropriate amount of alerts that they want for their security posture. And everybody's very familiar with the platform and how we should be working together. Well, I'm sure you're getting interest from cities and, you know, companies outside of schools, right, mm -hmm. about this? Yeah. So we do have a number of ongoing engagements with uh, public sector entities. Uh, actually, the federal government is big. We do a lot of work with the U.S. Army, um, some for our core product around detecting brandished weapons, but also actually flipping it around and saying they have an inventory problem. How can we help them make sure the weapons are where they're supposed to be? Uh, and then another big one for us is real estate, both on the commercial office side, uh, better security as amenities for tenants, and really interestingly, in affordable housing. That is one of the few environments where, unfortunately, brandished weapons are not uncommon sites, and we can really help affordable housing management companies understand what's going on in their buildings before there are complaints and help make the environment safer for their staff and their residents. So we work across a lot of verticals. Okay. Excellent. What's, um, what's next for the platform like over the next year or so that you can talk about? I'd say there's two things. So, well, three, we're always working on improving our accuracy, um, getting that fourth nine <laughs> in accuracy and reducing false positives further. Because even though, as we mentioned, most customers don't want um, no false positives, we want to give them that option if that's something they so desire. Uh, secondly, we're expanding into adjacent use cases. Uh, we already have a very strong intruder detection platform. I think while there are a lot of security camera companies that uh, have intruder detection solutions on the market, I think we might be the only software-based intruder detection system. So that's already been very well received by the market. And we're also branching into a little bit more complex uh, security systems such as left object detection. So detecting if somebody brings a bag into a scene and then leaves the and drops the bag and leaves the scene and sending an alert based on that. Similar technology, but a significantly higher level of complexity in terms of tracking multiple things. Basically, we aim to be 
a one-stop shop for AI-based security that has no privacy or compliance ramifications. We, we don't detect face, faces, for example, and we want to be as easy as possible. And the last piece is really doubling down on our government work. Um, our CEO is an ex-Marine, and we feel very strongly about contributing to safety, uh, both in, in the United States, in public schools, and for the government. And we already have a few ongoing engagements with the DOD that we're very excited. Yeah, no, that's great. That's excellent. Well, very good. Uh, ben, you know, it's a good thing that you guys are doing. Uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about the company and the initiatives and everything? Absolutely. Check us out at Actuate. Dot AI. We have a ton of contact, content on there or reach out to me on LinkedIn, Ben Jomek. I'd be happy to chat. And Jomek is Z-I-O-M-E-K. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for that one. Yeah, we had an offline discussion about it. It's a really cool last name you know, with a lot of uh, history behind it. So, yeah, Ben Jomek, yep. thanks Happy for to chat about it. that too if you want to reach out. <laughs> Excellent. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.